Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In this week's episode, I'll be sharing the stories of two little black boys who all of a sudden go missing from a New York City park in 1989. This story I'm about to tell you is full of twists and turns. When Christopher Dansby vanishes from a New York City park in May of 1989, police and his family are confused about how he could have been abducted in plain sight. And when Shane Walker also disappears in August of that same year, in the same park, the circumstances of both disappearances lead some to believe that these cases are connected. I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library. Get ready to explore the bewildering cases of Christopher Dansby and Shane Walker. In the 80s, New York City was a classic portrait of a gritty city. It was slowly starting to clean up its image as the most dangerous, roughest, and grittiest city in the country to a more inhabitable city for tourists and go-getters. Although this transformation was underway, there was no doubt that this gritty city still had its issues. In the 1980s, New York City had an all-time high crime rate as the crack epidemic was surging. Along with this came robberies, assaults, rapes, and homicides. And when you went further up the city of Manhattan, into Harlem, the violence and lawlessness there seemed even worse. In the Unsolved Mysteries episode, titled Stolen Kids, Ken Lindell, a retired NYPD inspector, says, quote, When I got here in 1989, Harlem was one of the tough areas. It was a very violent place. But you know what? There's a lot of working people that are just trying to survive. And there are a lot of decent folks here. End quote. During this time, Harlem was made up of a lot of families and children. The people in the community were close-knit, and it wouldn't be rare to see siblings, cousins, and grandparents living in the same housing complex. It seemed like during this time, the adage, it takes a village, was one to live by. In 1989, Allison Dansby is 26 years old with two sons, Levon and Christopher, living in the Martin Luther King Towers in central Harlem. Along with Allison, her mother, her siblings, and her cousins all live in the same building at the King Towers. Her sons, Levon and Christopher, are three and two respectively. Allison and her family even create nicknames for the boys. Levon is Pancho, and Christopher is Choo Choo. At two years old, Christopher is very attached to his mother, Allison. According to the Unsolved Mysteries episode, whenever Allison walks into the room, 
Christopher's face lights up for his mom. And like any typical toddler, Christopher is exploring the big world around him. He's talking, he's walking, he's even enjoying his playtime at the park. And above all else, he's discovering the wonderful concept of cuddling. It's his absolute favorite thing to do. It's Thursday, May 18, 1989, and Allison and Christopher are making their way over to the park to play. They both head over to the slide. The big slides are too big for Christopher to go down by himself, so Allison holds Christopher in her lap as they both slide down the big slide together. They do this a couple times. Across the park is Christopher's Aunt Carol on the swings, playing with other kids. May 18th is one of the hottest days in Harlem, so everyone is outside and the park is crowded with kids and adults, trying to soak up the summer day. After their time on the slides, Allison and Christopher spend some time walking around the park before Allison leaves to make a trip to the grocery store. According to Carol, Christopher's aunt, this was part of their typical routine. The family would go to the park, then head to the store to get the kids some snacks. Before heading to the store, Allison leaves Christopher with her mother in the park. Allison and Christopher hug and kiss goodbye. Before leaving, Allison assures her son that she'll be back soon, and Christopher replies, I love you, mommy. 30 minutes later, Allison returns back to the crowded park looking for her son. She spots her mother and asks her where Christopher is. Her mother says that Christopher is somewhere around playing in the park. She just saw him a moment ago. Allison keeps looking, but she still can't find Christopher. She walks through the park, her eyes flashing through the mass of kids playing. When she realizes that she can't find Christopher in the park, she goes to Carol and asks, Where's Choo Choo? Carol explains to Allison that she was just with Christopher, but now someone else must be with him. It's unclear from the Unsolved Mysteries episode who exactly is with Christopher after Carol, but I think it's safe to assume it was someone they knew, possibly a family member or a neighbor. At this point, Allison and her family begin searching for Christopher. So they split up. Some take one half of the park, while others take the other half everyone calling out to Christopher and looking under playsets, hoping that he's just playing a game of hide-and-seek. But soon, Allison begins to feel the worry and panic set in. Something doesn't feel right. If Allison was calling for him, he would answer. It's like one minute he was there, and the next he was gone. Police officers rush to the scene. Those first few minutes, those first few hours, are so crucial when a child goes missing. And police know that, so they race to the scene and begin canvassing the area, asking passersby questions and knocking on doors, hoping someone saw something or knows something about Christopher's sudden disappearance. The police start searching the Martin Luther King Towers. They knock on doors and walk the hallways, looking for signs of Christopher and even evidence of violence like blood. There are 10 towers and 14 floors in each tower, not to mention numerous apartments on each floor within these 10 towers. It is important for police to search each and every section of the towers, but the worry is that by the time they finish searching, it may be too late. There is a lake within this search area, so the police send a scuba diving team to search it, with a theory that he could have drowned or accidentally fallen in the lake. While police are searching for little Christopher, his family is devastated and overwhelmed. How could Christopher suddenly vanish? After all, so many of his family members were there in the park watching him and playing with him. Given that Christopher is only two years old, the family doesn't suspect that he walked off on his own. Instead, they worry that someone took him. The night that Christopher disappears, Allison goes uptown to get clothes for the police. You see, the police plan to have dogs sniff Christopher's clothes so they could send the dogs out to find him. The dogs begin sniffing for Christopher. 
and they lead police to South on Lenox, which is the street that the playground is on. The dogs pull toward 110th Street, which is the street perpendicular to Lenox Avenue. But when the dogs and police arrive at 110th Street, the dogs lose the scent. At this point, it has been a couple hours since Christopher has been missing. Naturally, Allison's mind leads her down a dark path. She begins fearing the worst for Christopher. According to Ken Lindell, retired inspector for NYPD, at the time of Christopher's disappearance, there were many entrance and exit routes to the park. There was even a fence that had a hole in it that kids would often go through. And Lenox Avenue, the street that the park is on, is a busy street. Ken Lindell even suggests that someone could have easily taken Christopher, put him in a car, and drove away. But Allison has other theories too. She thinks Christopher could have been coaxed with something by a stranger. She insists that Christopher was never the type of kid to take a stranger's hand and just walk off with them. And if Christopher was crying as he was being taken, Allison believes that no one would have thought twice about it. After all, toddlers cry. Allison begins to question how and why Christopher disappeared. Who took him? Could it have been a family member, or was it a stranger that took Christopher from that park? Apparently, Christopher's father hadn't been in his life. He was living in Florida, but he came back to New York City when he found out about Christopher's disappearance. It seems unlikely that Christopher's father had anything to do with Christopher's disappearance, because he was all the way in Florida when he went missing. After answering questions for the police and providing all the information he could about his son, Christopher's father was no longer a person of interest. So police begin moving their focus on Christopher's mother, most especially her past involvement with drugs. They began questioning whether her past drug issues had anything to do with Christopher's disappearance. Maybe a drug dispute was the reason Christopher went missing. In the Unsolved Mysteries episode, Allison admits to her past drug addiction. Although she was open about her past, many other people casted shame on her and blamed her and her family for Christopher's disappearance. Along with living with the uncertainty of her son's whereabouts and safety, Allison Dansby also had to live with the judgment of those around her, people theorizing that she was involved with her own son's abduction. It's three months later and Christopher Dansby is still missing. On Thursday, August 10th, 1989, it's Rosa Glover's day off, and she's taking her son to the Martin Luther King Towers playground. You see, Rosa Glover works five days a week and gets two days off to spend time with her 19-month-old son, Shane. So in the afternoon of August 10th, soon after 5 p.m., Rosa and Shane stop by the store to pick up some chips for her son to snack on before they head to the park for some fun. These moments are special to Rosa, because there was a time when she was sure that she could never have another baby. But before she knew it, she was pregnant with Shane. So their trips to the park are sort of like a ritual for them. As soon as they enter the park, Rosa and Shane are approached by two young kids, a boy and a girl. The girl is about 10 years old, and the boy is around 6. They ask Rosa if they can play with Shane, but Rosa tells them to go and leave them alone. Instead of running off to find another kid to play with, they insist on playing with Shane. This time, Rosa allows them to play with her son. The kids follow Shane to the slide, and Rosa goes to sit on a bench nearby. While Rosa is on the bench, watching her son, a man comes and sits on the bench next to her. She turns her head, and then turns back to the man. But he's not there anymore. She finds the brief moment with the stranger incredibly odd, and honestly I would too. So she stands up and begins looking around, but when she looks over to the slide, Shane isn't there. 
she begins to search the park for her son when she finds the two kids leaving the park. She runs towards them and asks them what they did with Shane, and they claim that they left the boy in the park. That's all they said before they walked away. Rosa, like I think most mothers would at this point, begins to scream. She runs through the park frantically calling out for Shane. Her eyes dart from child to child, but none of them are Shane. People notice and start to join her in her search for her lost son. But no matter how hard they look or how many people help search, Shane is nowhere to be found. Just like when Christopher goes missing, the police come rushing to the scene. Police again begin a mass canvas of the park and the King Towers. They knock on doors, search the park, and question people. They even search dumpsters and garbage chutes. But still, there's no sign of Shane. Police get a tip that Shane is buried close by. Police even resort to knocking down and demolishing buildings, hoping to find him. But again, Shane isn't there. I'm sure Rosa is beginning to go to the same dark place that Allison Dansby went. I'm sure that she begins to play the day in her mind on a loop, wondering where it all went wrong. The crazy thing is that Rosa usually never let her son play with kids he didn't know. And what's heartbreaking is that the first time that she breaks her rule, it ends with her son vanishing. Rosa has some theories of her own about what happened to her son that day. She thinks that the kids helped take Shane and maybe some other person, most likely a grown-up, could have put their hand over his mouth and took him away. The kids are taken to the police station and interviewed at length, according to Ken Lindell. In the interview, the kids claim that they were just playing with Shane and they saw no one come up and take him. They also claim that when they turned around, Shane went off on his own to another part of the park. Next, the parents of these children are interviewed, and according to Ken Lindell, the parents' stories are clean also. Everything checks out, and they are said to have no involvement in Shane's disappearance. If you're like me, you're probably screaming, but what about the man on the bench? Well, the police also bring him in for an interview, but according to police, this man is also cleared of any suspicion. Police conclude that this man doesn't seem to be involved in Shane's disappearance, at least in any way that they can find. But in my own research, I found something compelling and even creepy about this mysterious man on the bench. According to the Charlie Project, there is relevant information about this man. Under the details of disappearance section on the Charlie Project page for Shane Walker, it states that the mysterious man said to Rosa, quote, things happen to children. Then the man pointed to the scars on his face and disappeared. Although this information is compelling, I'm still skeptical. In the Unsolved Mysteries episode, Rosa never mentioned the man speaking to her, just sitting next to her. And with conflicting accounts about Rosa's encounter with the mysterious man in the park, it's hard to say what actually happened between Rosa and this man. Without any suspects, police continue investigating. They even put up a $30,000 reward requesting any information about the disappearance of Shane. A special task force was assigned to the case, and police began sending out sound trucks, basically police vehicles that would announce the information about the disappearance through a PA system. One day, Allison Dansby sees this sound truck driving through her neighborhood, and just like that, she's transported back to a few months ago when her own son Christopher went missing. Allison and Rosa never knew each other, but they connected. Both of their sons disappeared from the same park. Their sons were both around the same age, and they both went missing on a Thursday evening. With these similarities, it's easy to jump to the conclusion that these cases are connected, that the same person to Christopher and Shane. And with such striking similarities, how else can these disappearances be explained? In the Unsolved Mysteries episode, 
three possible theories for Christopher and Shane's disappearance are posed. The first theory is that a pedophile or serial killer abducted Christopher and Shane. These are awful scenarios, but very real possibilities. But investigators question this theory. Apparently, most missing children are found alive, especially babies. This leads me to the second theory post. It's theorized that Christopher and Shane were sold into a possible baby selling ring. And apparently, Harlem residents have been talking up this theory for a while. Did Harlem residents have information or knowledge of a baby selling ring on the black market? Or were these just rumors and speculation? It turns out that the police take this theory relatively seriously. They investigate, but in the end, they conclude that this is unlikely what happened to the boys. In the episode, Ken Lindell claims that, quote, I think it's very difficult to pay someone, let's say hypothetically, to steal a baby. There was nothing that surfaced in the New York City Police Department that would indicate that that was what was going on. Nothing ever surfaced, end quote. And although this may be true, I'm still curious as to how the NYPD came to this conclusion. Given that Harlem in 1989 was riddled with residents suffering from drug addiction, isn't it possible that some stranger involved with a baby selling ring could have approached another person who was desperate for money, like an addict, and convinced them to abduct Christopher and Shane? Also, is it necessarily true that just because a baby selling ring never surfaced, it means that it never existed? The final theory is that Shane and Christopher are still alive. Some believe that Christopher and Shane were targets of people who wanted to be parents, but for some reason could not have their own children. The idea is that this person would have been unable to have their own biological children, and they also would not be able to adopt through legal means. So they resorted to stealing young children to raise them as their own and experience parenthood like they always wanted. Supposedly, the theory that Christopher and Shane were abducted by desperate people who wanted to experience parenthood isn't totally far-fetched. Because on August 4, 1987, in New York City, newborn baby Carlina White was abducted from Harlem Hospital. Carlina was only 19 days old when her parents had to rush her to the hospital with a fever of 104 degrees. When they arrived, they met a woman who was dressed as a nurse, and she began to comfort them. Apparently during shift change, this woman, dressed as a nurse, successfully smuggled baby Carlina out of the hospital. Immediately, a wide manhunt for the baby began, but for years, police never found her. Not until January 2011, 23 years after her abduction, Carlina White discovered she was someone else's child. For years, Carlina White grew up as Nettie Nance. But one day, her life got flipped upside down. After becoming pregnant, she had to get medical insurance. However, in order to get the medical insurance, she needed a valid birth certificate. After she brought what she thought was her valid birth certificate, she was shocked to learn that her birth certificate was actually forged. Nettie Nance, aka Carlina White, began investigating her own life, and what she found was shocking. When Nettie found a picture of a missing child that looked eerily similar to her own, she thought that the missing child could have been her all along. She went to NYPD and they conducted a DNA sample. The results showed that Nettie Nance was actually Carlina White. When the woman who abducted her, Anne Petway, is interviewed by police, it is discovered that her motive for kidnapping Carlina or Nettie was her inability to have her own children. Apparently, Anne Petway suffered numerous miscarriages and felt that kidnapping another person's child was the only way she could experience parenthood. Nettie Nance was eventually reunited with her biological parents. A story like this can easily give parents like Allison Dansby and Rosa Glover hope. 
Hope that maybe their boys are still alive. Hope that maybe one day they will be reunited. And law enforcement believe it is entirely possible that Christopher Dansby and Shane Walker are still out there. They may even have families of their own. The Forensic Imaging Unit at the National Center for Exploited and Missing Children have worked for years on age progression photos for Christopher and Shane. Allison Dansby and Rosa Glover never give up hope. Rosa feels that Shane is still out there. She's just got to find him. She still waits on the day that her son will come and find her and give her a big hug. After Christopher vanished and Allison moved out of the Martin Luther King Towers, she still struggles to go there to visit her mother. The memories of what happened that summer day will forever haunt her. Allison now has three grandchildren, but sadly, they have never known their uncle Christopher. She has missed over 30 years of her son's life, all of the milestones and achievements along the way. Allison trusts that one day she will be reunited with her son. Christopher Dansby was two years old when he disappeared on May 18, 1989. He is a black male with black hair and brown eyes. He has a birthmark on his left leg in the shape of a figure eight, and today he would be 33 years old. Shane Walker was 19 months old when he vanished on August 10, 1989. He is a black male with black hair and brown eyes. He has a small scar on his chin and a birthmark on his back right shoulder in the shape of a liver, and today he would be 33 years old. If you want to see the age progression photos of Christopher and Shane, you can find links in the show notes of this episode. If you have any information on the disappearances of Christopher Dansby or Shane Walker, you can email hotline at ncmec.org or call 1-800-THE-LOST. If you'd like to listen to more episodes of the Lost Crimes Library, you can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the LCL Pod for any podcast updates. Remember, sharing is caring, so make sure to share this podcast and also leave a review. It helps a lot. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes. This episode was written and hosted by Nisa Henderson, and it was produced by Channing Tapp and Nisa Henderson. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.